Pastor Chris's podcast. God's official 400 years silence in between the Old and New Testament was a pause that prepared the world for the most important word God would ever speak. The word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. John 1.14 tells us, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's one and only son. And we were going to celebrate that birth this week, the birth of that precious word, Jesus Christ. But we have one more Sunday of Advent to go. And so today we will look at the last 100 years of the intertestamental period Consider and consider the various factions that developed before Christ was born. Factions that we read about in the gospel that bitterly divided God's people. And we will also, while we do that, contemplate the divisions in our time as we wait for Christ to come in glory and to fix all of the brokenness in our world. I want to read to you from Isaiah 49 chapter 49, verses 5 through 7, words that were written hundreds of years before Christ was born, but that foretold his birth and his purpose. Isaiah 49, verses 5 through 7. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me, and my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations, to the one who is the servant of rulers, kings will stand at attention when you pass by. Princes will also bow low. Because of the Lord, the faithful one, the holy one of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Israel is often called God's chosen people. Some think that this choice goes back to Moses. For God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt to deliver them and to help them to go into the promised land where they would be a holy nation to represent God. But actually, God's choice of Israel goes back to Abraham. Abraham, who lived in a faraway country in the east. And God told Abraham, I want you to leave your hometown and your homeland and go to a new land that I will show you. And there I will make you a father of a great nation. You will have so many descendants, they won't even be able to count them. And you will be a blessing to the whole world. All of the peoples and all of the nations of the whole world will be blessed by you. Really, though, God's choice goes all the way back to creation. God created people. And created the whole earth. And God didn't have to create us. He didn't need people. God chose to create us. 
so that we could have a relationship with him, we could experience his love, and we could enjoy the beautiful and wonderful and good world that he had created. And from that, God chose to love all people. It's not that God created some people for destruction and some people for salvation. God created all people out of love in hopes that we would all have a relationship with him. But God chose Abraham because he was a man of faith and because the world had gone so wrong, God had to make a way to bring us back to him, to experience his love. And so God chose Abraham because he was a man of faith who would obey and go where he told him. And from Abraham came Israel, a people who, who were to be a blessing. Israel was to be a kingdom of priests who brought all people back to God. That's why God chose them. But because they were God's chosen people and because they felt special that God had chosen them, their specialness began to morph into a place where they thought, well, God must love us more than he loves everybody else. He chose us. We're his special chosen people. And so they began to think more about themselves than about what God chose them for. God had chose them to be a blessing, to help the whole world to reconnect with God. But instead, they began to think only about what they wanted and their power and their influence and their good life. And they began to look only at themselves and forget about God's mission. And so because of that, they began to experience brokenness themselves and separation from God. And they began to experience the consequences that always come when we turn our back on God and we begin thinking only of ourselves. Eventually, even they became conquered, a conquered people who were experiencing nothing but the brokenness of our world. And so they began to pray that a Messiah would come that would save them and would restore them. And so God says in Isaiah 49, 6, I will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. And, I, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. I don't know about you, but when I look around in the world today, when I look around in our own country, it seems that we are more divided today than we have ever been. We could learn a lot from the history of Israel's mistakes during the intertestamental period. If ever there were a divided people, it was Israel by the time Jesus was born. And so I want to look at their history and, and think about those divisions as we think about our own times. From the 500 B.C.s until the birth of Christ, Jerusalem was ruled by a succession of foreign empires. First, there was Persia, which allowed them to return and rebuild Jerusalem. But soon a greater power grew up in the world, the Greek Empire. They conquered Persia, and along with Persia, they conquered Israel. And so Israel became, uh, came under the rule of the Greek Empire and Alexander the Great. But when Alexander the Great died unexpectedly, his great empire was smashed and turned into four smaller kingdoms in Egypt, in Syria, in Macedonia, and Pergamum. 
And so first, Israel was ruled by Greek Egypt. Then they were ruled by Greek Syria. And then there was the Maccabean revolt where the uh, Israelites rebelled against the Syrians and won a period of independence. It wasn't really a great period of independence. Uh, some ruthless kings called the Hasmoneans ruled over Israel for a short time of tumultuous independence. And then the great new empire from the east, the Roman, um, the Ro from the west, the Roman Empire came in and conquered Jerusalem, and they ruled until the birth of Christ and throughout the New Testament period. Now, all of these different kingdoms coming in and manipulating and taking control, all of, these, all of this warfare and destruction and periods of peace mixed with periods of, of destruction and devastation, all of this gave rise to a lot of different groups of people in Jerusalem that felt like they knew what was really needed to get Israel back on the right track. All of these different groups believed that they knew what it took to make Israel great again. And I want to look at some of those groups today. The first set of groups that we will look at were called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were both active political parties that backed different leaders and gave allegiance to various different foreign influencers throughout the intertestamental period. There was a, a lot of differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. For instance, the Pharisees resisted Hellenization, while the Sadducees favored Hellenization. What is Hellenization? Well, because the Greek Empire had had such huge success ruling the world, um, all of the peoples around the Mediterranean world began to adopt ideas, culture, religion, um, political uh, systems from the Greeks. That was called Hellenization. They learned, they realized, these Greeks, they've got it figured out. We've done some of that ourselves as well, right? Where do we get democracy from? Well, a lot of people say it comes from the Greek Empire. Well, <clears throat> most of the people in the world began to adopt all these Greek ideas, even Greek religion. And the Jewish people were faced with the same dilemma. Should we become more like the Greeks or should we remain true and be the kind of people God called us to be in the Holy Scriptures. Well, the Pharisees said, no, we do not want any of that foreign influence seeping into Israelite culture and religion. And so they resisted it. Whereas the Sadducees said, we want to get ahead. And in order to get ahead in this world, you got to be like the Greeks. And so they welcomed it with open arms. That was one way the Pharisees were different from the Sadducees. Another way was that the Pharisees were the ones who were the scribes. They were the ones that sat down with the scrolls of Moses and they copied them meticulously and they memorized the scriptures and they knew the word. They knew the Holy Bible by heart. They had memorized large swaths of it. Some of them had memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. Can you imagine that's not even the good stuff, right? That's like the Deuteronomy and the Numbers and the Leviticus. 
you know, take your goat to this corner of the altar and slaughter it this way and pour the blood on the, you know, they, they knew all that stuff by heart. That's how faithful and loyal they were to the Torah. And the Sadducees, on the other hand, weren't loyal to the Torah. They were loyal to the temple. They believed that the temple was the holy place of God. And that's where you went and you had to make sacrifices. And you had to worship God and you had to give your money, which went to the Sadducees, which made the Sadducees rich. And they climbed up the social ladder and they became more and more wealthy and more and more powerful. And they became the upper echelon of Jewish community. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. They believed that this life was not all that there was, that after you died, there was an afterlife. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in an afterlife. They believed that once this life was over, that was it. And therefore, they believed that if this life is all you get, you better do all you can to earn all you can to get as much power and influence and live the best, most comfortable life you can. And that's what they did. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, said, no, it's not about this life. As a matter of fact, you ought to be even willing to give up this life for the sake of God, because something better is waiting on the other side. The Pharisees were the party of the common people. They were the ones that were out on the streets preaching and teaching about God's law. Because they believed that the way to make Israel great again was for everybody to start following the Torah. They believed in it so strictly. They, they said, we're going to follow this thing perfectly. For instance, they said, well, we're not going to do any work on the Sabbath day because the Ten Commandments say, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Don't anybody do any work on the Sabbath day. And they said, well, what does it mean to do work? I said, well, you can't carry a heavy load on the Sabbath day because that will be work. And people were like, and then the Pharisees were like, well, we want to make sure we don't break this law. How heavy is a heavy load? They determined it to the perfect amount. They even said, you can only have so many tacks in your sandals. If you have too many tacks holding your sandals together, that would be considered carrying a load which would be work on the Sabbath day. That was the way they, they lived. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they were the upper crust of, hum, of uh, Jerusalem society. They were the elite. They were the wealthy people. They didn't really care about all that stuff. They believed that just go to the temple, do your worship, give your money to us, and you'll be fine. We'll take care of you. The Pharisees were very devout. They really believed what it, the scripture said. And they were going to try to do it because they believed the way to make God happy was to follow his law perfectly. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they were religious, but they saw religion as a way to get ahead, to gain from religion. And so they were often very corrupt. They were the people of influence that held political positions and they were perfectly willing to take a bribe in order to let you in and get you a position as well. So that was the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees that we read about in the Gospels after Jesus was born. Another division was between 
the Herodians and the Zealots. When Rome marched into Jerusalem in 63 AD, they installed Antipater as their puppet king in Jerusalem. When Antipater died, his son, Herod the Great, became king in 40 BC. Herod was a ruthless and yet savvy king. He murdered all of his Jewish rivals, including his own sons, his wife, two of her sons, her brother, her grandfather, and her mother. This was who was king. He is the one, the same Herod that we read about in Matthew, where it says the wise men visited Matthew, wise men visited Herod, and they asked, where is this newborn king of the Jews? How do you think that went over with Herod, who was killing all his rivals? Well, of course, he tried to play nice, and he pretended, I want to go worship him too. Thankfully, an angel warned the wise men that he was up to no good. Don't tell him where Jesus is being born. But Herod realized that the, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And if he didn't know which child it was, he had a solution. We'll just kill all the babies under two years old in Bethlehem. That was the kind of king that these Jerusalem and Israelite people had. Most people loathed Herod. But the fact is he was a savvy political leader who skillfully walked the fine line between being the political leader of Judah and the puppet king for Rome. Herod's rule divided Judea between two opposing groups, the Herodians and the Zealots. The Herodians supported Herod and his dynasty as kings. The Zealots were a militant political party that opposed Herodians. The Zealots' passion for the national religious life of the Jewish people led them to despise Rome and even Jews who sought to peace with Rome and sought to cooperate with Roman authorities. The Zealots' fiery national uh, love for their country meant that they hated the Herodians. They believed that God's kingdom should be David's royal line, not these Herodian kings. And they wanted to fight violently for Jewish independence. They were even willing to resort to terrorist attacks, assassinations, killing their own people in order to restore David's kingdom. Isn't it ironic? They thought that David's kingdom was God's kingdom. And they could bring God's kingdom by murdering their own people. That sounds so stupid to us 2,000 years down the road. But don't you know that 2,000 years down the road, people are going to look back on our systems and the way we do things, and they're going to say, what were they thinking? Why were they doing that? Well, with all of the division and the strife Israel's broken world was experiencing before Christ, many had given up on this world Altogether. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like this world is just too dark, too evil? I don't even know how to live in this place anymore. I just wish I could run off to a lonely mountain, get me a log cabin, and be a hermit. Totally forget about this world. Or maybe, maybe. I'm not enough of an introvert loner to do that. So maybe 
I'll join a commune with a bunch of other truly good people. And we'll learn about love and peace. And we'll live together and we'll turn our backs on the evil world. And we'll start all over, make our own good world. Because this world, it is broken beyond repair. That is how the Essenes felt before Jesus came. The Essenes were what you might call the preppers of the ancient world. They got all their supplies up, put them in these big clay jars and took them off into the countryside. And they learned how to farm the land. And they said, we don't need Jerusalem. We don't need the temple. We don't need all the politics. We don't need all the systems of this world. We can be self-sufficient. We can grow our own food. We can do our own thing. And we don't have to be uh, mixed up in all that mess anymore. We'll just be God's good people all by ourselves. We don't need this world. They realized that the systems of the world were so broken, there's no hope for the world to be found in the kingdoms and the empires and the political factions. Even the established religious systems seem broken beyond repair, so they abandoned it all, moved away to the wilderness. We have the Essenes actually to thank for the preservation of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, on your screen is a picture of uh, the wilderness, the Judean countryside, one of the caves. Um, these ancient preppers, they took all their food out and, and they stored it and they cached it so that they would have enough food to live on and get by without having to go to the grocery store. Well, they also took with them the holy scrolls of the Bible. They were very religious people and they took some of those scrolls with them and as they studied them and they put them, some of them in the clay jars as well. Well, wasn't maybe 50 or 60 or 70 years ago, an old shepherd was wandering through the Judean countryside and he saw one of those caves and he picked up a rock and he threw it, rock through the cave door and he heard something smash. And he went scrambling up and looked in the cave. And lo and behold, there was an ancient clay pot that was in one of those caves and inside it was a 2,000 year old scroll of Isaiah. A lot of people today say, well, how do we know that the Bible that we have in our modern times hasn't changed from what was written down in the ancient times? One of the reasons we know is because you can go look at that ancient scroll that's 2,000 years old and look at Isaiah and see, oh, it says the same thing our Bible does today. That's pretty amazing. Thank you, Essenes for prepping the scripture along with the dates and figs and all the other things you were saving. Many scholars also believe that one of the famous characters from the Gospels might have been an Essene, or if he wasn't an Essene, he was certainly influenced by their religious movement. Many scholars believe that John the Baptist was either an Essene or he was deeply influenced by their religious movement. And think about it. What did John the Baptist do? He lived in the wilderness. He preached fiery sermons about how we needed to turn around and repent from the brokenness and the sins of this world. And he ate locusts and wild honey and he dressed in animal skins. Sounds a lot like a wild, crazy monk wandering out in the wilderness like those Essenes were. But here's the thing. I, I have a lot of respect for the Essenes. I feel a lot of empathy with them. Sometimes I feel like I just like to leave it all behind and go do my own thing. 
forget about this broken world, but by retreating from the world, the Essenes abandoned God's mission for Israel to be a light to the, to the nations. You know, they said, we don't care about this world. This world could just go to hell. We're going to go do our own thing and start over from scratch. That's what they were saying. But that's not what God wanted. God doesn't want this world to go to hell. God wants to save this world. That is why he sent his son to be born. This was the broken and divided world into which Jesus was born. Jesus came to bring light into the darkness and to show God came to save all people. God's kingdom is not just for Jews or Jerusalem or Israel. God's kingdom is for all nations. And God's kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it doesn't operate by the politics and the principles of worldly kingdoms. It is not won by political maneuvering or by the might of the sword. It is not won in that way. God's king is a baby born in a manger. And his kingdom is won by a cross. Now it breaks my heart to look around at our broken world, divided between so many different factions in our own time. And many of us feel a a closeness to these different groups, and I understand that. We feel like we've got to do something, and, and we sometimes feel like this is the only way to get things done. And I personally feel a great kinship with the Essenes, those who want to leave it all behind and remove to a remote cabin in the wilderness, just forget about the broken world. But God's call for his people today is the same as it was in Isaiah 49, 6, where he said, I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Jesus is going to come back again, just as he did 2,000 years ago. But when Jesus comes back, our Messiah will finally bring his kingdom on earth completely. And all that is wrong will be made right. But in the meantime, while we wait, we must do his work on earth. In the meantime... While we wait, I will take up my cross and I will follow him. And I hope you will too. Gracious Father, we thank you for sending your son when all hope seemed lost, when the things of this world never seemed to work. You said that's right, because my kingdom is not of this world. And so you sent your you sent the king the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he didn't come as a conquering Messiah. He came as a baby born in a manger. And you came to win the world and to make all that is broken right. And you said, I will bring my kingdom 
and spread my kingdom across all humanity will not be spread by a sword or by a gun or by bombs. It will be spread as people deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. But Lord, that is so hard for us to do sometimes. In the darkness of this world, in the lostness of all the things, we need your help. So fill us today with your spirit as we wait to celebrate Christmas, as we seek to live in this life, in this brokenness. Fill us with your spirit. Give us strength and courage to take up our cross every day and to follow the path that Christ has led before us because he told us he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And we want to follow him. So help us in his name. Amen.